0: Record yourself presenting and add your talking head to your slides so your audience can watch your perfected presentation anywhere, anytime. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.
1: This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. This episode is brought to you with support from Shutterstock and lynda.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with Brenda Danilowitz and Philip Tiongson about Joseph Albers and his book, Interaction of Color.
2: What it does is unlock a magic.
1: He could see,
3: and he was training you to see.
1: Here's Debbie
3: Millman.
0: This year is the 50th anniversary of the groundbreaking book, Interaction of Color. Interaction of Color reveals the concepts of color and color trickery in an entertaining and interactive way. It was written by the great artist and art educator Joseph Albers and printed in 1963 in a limited silkscreen edition. To mark the anniversary, Yale University Press is literally putting the interaction in Interaction of Color. This July, They're releasing an iPad app. I've gotten a sneak peek, and I have to say, it is amazing, beyond groundbreaking. And it's all thanks to Brenda Danilowicz and Philip Tiongson, who are here with me today. Brenda is the chief curator at the Joseph and Annie Albers Foundation. Philip Tiongson is a principal at Potion, a design and technology firm specializing in interactive experiences. Brenda and Philip, welcome to Design Matters. Thank you, Debbie. Pleasure to be here.
3: Thank you for having us.
0: So, Philip, your website states that you believe code is a medium for creative expression and that the digital universe should dance and bloom in response to the human touch. How is code a medium for creative expression, and how is it possible that it should help the digital universe dance
3: and <laughs> bloom? I think this really goes back to um, my partner Jared and I' mentorship with John Maeda. Um, we were lucky to be one of some of his first students at the Media Lab when he came from Japan and began his practice there, and he really asked, made us ask a new set of questions. One of the first exercises we did in one of his classes was why a button and a button had always been for me as a computer scientist this utilitarian piece that was made and i would just include it and you know you didn't question it i didn't even realize that there was a question behind a button he the question he asked was how do you connect two actions and so a button is really designed to express intention you know i want something and so we realized there's so many more ways to do that than including a button on a page.
0: So interesting given what a physical button is actually supposed to do in terms of joining two things. Right. As a daughter of a seamstress, I have a completely different <laughs> picture in my head of the word button.
3: And No, and I think that that's what you – know, he talks about how he grew up in this making place where they would make tofu and he was part of the, the medium – really understanding how it was made from the very beginnings all the way through the process. And so he really believed that understanding the medium in which you're expressing yourself at the the most atomic level is necessary to be able to push that medium. And so with code is the same way. If you understand the most basics of how a computer pushes information from one place to another to the screen, how that loop between how a person indicates their intention and then the computer displays a pixel on the screen that responds to that original intention, that's where the dance comes from. The the dance comes from understanding that you can modulate how people input their intention, and then the computer can delight you with its response.
0: What I find so interesting about the app that you created for the interaction of color is how much it transforms the experience of this book. And I almost think that, without sounding overly dramatic here, um, that this is the example the world has been waiting for in order to begin to understand how it's possible that books will never, ever go away. Oh, yeah. Because this app actually creates a better book that was already pretty damn great. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and that, I mean, I totally agree that what makes this app fantastic was that it was fantastic as a book. Right. I mean, there was the, the content and the thought and the, and the deep understanding of color. You know, this is a teaching book. And so the interactive medium allows us to Take what Albers would have wanted his students to be able to do, but he only had silkscreen prints that he could distribute on paper to, you know, a few thousand libraries as a guide. But if he could have given everyone, here are the pieces of paper that you would cut, and here are the studies that I think are will teach you a lot. And here's the process that I would like you to follow. And that's exactly how the book is written. The interaction of color is, even though when you get it in the paperback version, is black and white and has no interaction in it, is designed to be a process.
0: A completely interactive experience. And the name, you know, the irony of the name right. is not lost on me here. Exactly. <laughs> it's and,
3: almost as if this is what he intended all along. And that's exactly when the foundation came to us. And they said this is what was his initial intention. But this is even just a translation of his process in the classroom. So for us, trying to go back to that original process of sitting in the classroom with students, show me how one color seems to be two or how two colors seem to be one. Show me. And so it was that sort of excitement and inspiration that drew us to try to bring some of those elements into the interaction of color, the app.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Joseph Albers. Joining me today with Philip is Brenda Danilovitz. She is the chief curator of the Albers Foundation and also co-author with Frederick Horowitz of Joseph Albers' To Open Eyes. This is a book that is an absolutely fascinating study of the revolutionary painter, and it was the first book ever to focus on how the artist and educator influenced generations of artists, including Donald Judd, Robert Rauschenberg, and Robert Mangold. So, Brenda, Albers has long been admired for his progressive vision as an artist and a designer who blurred distinctions between fine art and applied art. What would you say was his biggest
2: accomplishment? I think that what was unique about Joseph Albers was that he not so much blurred those distinctions, but he recognized that in order to create art, which to him was a transcendent, transformative experience, you needed to have... Tools. You needed to have skills. You needed to know exactly what you were doing. And if you were not in control of your your materials, of your specific means of using those materials, then you would not be able to create what he considered to be fine art, as as you put it. It was a, in a way, a quite a simple idea, but in its playing art, of course was very complex, like all good, simple things. The German-born artist and educator was a
0: remarkable classroom performer as well. And his colourful wit, his language, his dramatic flair held his students spellbound and turned his lessons into high adventure. How did he do that?
2: I think... It's something that he developed very consciously because he was a teacher very early on before he became an art teacher. Before he went to the Bauhaus, he taught young children in an elementary school and his classes, he had to deal with children of all ages in one classroom. It was like a single classroom school. And he very quickly learned how to get cooperation in the classroom, how to get students' attention. And he seemed to put everything else aside when he walked into a classroom and became an absolute master at conducting this performance. Now, there were some students who hated it and simply walked out the first day because they didn't get it right away and they wanted to be sort of put in front of a piece of paper with a pencil and to create. The one sort of word that to Joseph Albers was absolutely anathema was self-expression. He said there's no you do not express yourself. You have to learn, you have to have these skills, and then you create something. And is that creation considered an expression
0: or is just the word expression a word that he found to be unacceptable? He
2: found I think it's a word he found to be unacceptable because it had all sorts of connotations of emotional outpourings and those sort of things which was The kind of thing that he just abhorred. (laughs)
0: Philip is laughing.
3: (laughs) One of the things that when I've seen some of the videos that we've included in the app of him in the classroom is just the engagement that he has with his students. It's like magic. It's like he's a magician and revealing his secrets that, you know, he could see and he was training you to see. And I thought that was amazing.
0: Well, from what I understand from my research, whether at the Bauhaus in pre-war Germany, Black Mountain College in rural North Carolina during the 30s and 40s, or at Yale in the 50s, Albers, the teacher, was driven by one really, really important thing to him, which was the desire to open his students' eyes to a different way of perceiving art And that ultimately would translate to a different way of perceiving life. What was his intention in doing that? Why did he want to do that?
2: He deeply believed that art was creation in the most profound sense of making something new, creating something out of nothing. And that became, you could almost say, a religious belief that he had about art. Now, he didn't prescribe what sort of artists his students might become. That was not his business. Well, and all of the students of his that did become well-known had completely different styles. Well, exactly. And I mean, if you just look at, say, to take an example that's well-known, Robert Rauschenberg, who rebelled against Albers, found him very difficult in the classroom because Rauschenberg was a sort of unruly personality who was a little wild and wanted to go his own way and didn't really want to be pinned down by the quite strict methods that Albus had in the classroom. But he subsequently said that he learned so much from Albus because fortunately he was one who stayed and didn't walk out. And if you look at Rauschenberg's Work. You would never think that he was a student of Albers. But if you really look closely, you can see exactly where he came from. And the deep influence. Exactly. Brenda, what was so unique about the way that Albers taught? Albers believed in experiential teaching, not in putting out a rule and having students learn how to execute that rule. He believed in discovery in the classroom. And that is why his classes were always new and different. There were students at Black Mountain College who would take the color course four times in four years if they were there, and each time they would get a new set of experiences and a new set of exercises. One of the lessons that he gave at black mountain in a very original way was what he called matiere studies and this had an almost surrealist or dada aspect to it which one does not normally associate with albers the idea behind it was very rigorous it was to find a material and transform it in some way so that it took on the appearance of a different material And the more original the students were, the more the results were a success. So he would have his students go out and simply find found objects, cigarette butts, leaves, bits of stick, things that had been discarded and compose them into studies in such a way that they would fool the eye, that you would think that. A cigarette butt was not a cigarette butt, but maybe the stalk of a plant or a mushroom or something like that. That's, I think, the clearest example I can give because these things are very visual. And I think that is the way that he encouraged creativity, discovery, working with diverse materials, but they didn't have to be precious materials or expensive materials, and putting together these disparate elements to create something which, made a different kind of sense that in the works of, for example, Rauschenberg, you can see this idea of experiment, discovery, creative assemblage taking place. How lucky to have been one of his students.
0: On page one of Interaction of Color, Albers states, in visual perception, a thing is never seen as it really is.
2: So my question, Brenda, is then what is seen? Albers believed that in normal seeing, that we use our eyes so much because the world around us is really controlled through our vision. But we become so accustomed to it that we take things for granted. And when he talked about visual perception, he meant, again, something much more profound than just the way we look at the world. He would stop. And look at the smallest object, the smallest event, and see through it in a deep kind of way. There's an incident that Fred Horowitz, my co-author, recounts, maybe not in the book, of a student encountering Albers outside on the sidewalk at Yale. And Albers had stopped, and he was watching a squirrel. And he stopped the student, and he said... Look at this squirrel, look what a marvellous thing it is. Look what it's doing. Look how it uses its hands or its paws. You know. So he would see magic. He would see something deeper. And he believed that the majority of people just miss the true reality. It was available for everyone to see, but nobody was looking. And that was where his notion of to open eyes really comes from. And that was a byword of all of his teaching one of my favorite joseph albert's quotes is
0: easy to know that diamonds are precious good to learn that rubies have depth but more to see that pebbles are miraculous along with squirrels <laughs>
2: <laughs> i think that's
0: a very apt example So how would you describe the app? Having seen it and experienced it, I can say firsthand that it is way, way more than a digital representation of the 1963 book and seems actually to make good on the actual title, Interaction of Color.
3: Well, I think that that was definitely the challenge. And what we realized is when we sat down with the foundation, they also considered it a challenge that the interaction of color – in its current form as a print book, it wasn't interactive in the way that the original folio edition had been. Yes.
0: It's hard to read interaction of color and... Be sort of distracted by going back and forth into the different parts of the book to be able to test the theories and see how real or not they are.
3: Right. And you would often have your fingers in three or four places in the book trying to flip back and forth to read those studies. Sort
0: of (laughs) integrates it for the first time since the original edition came out.
3: That's right. And the original edition at the time of that technology was the best way that he could do it and was also incredibly expensive and would still be incredibly expensive today. You still can't buy that edition. There's a reason why there's only a limited edition. So now with the digital edition, we're able to get back to being able to see the color studies with the text to be able to link those directly together to go back and forth. But not only the study itself, but then the the practice of the study. So with a swipe, you can see... A version of the study that you can then begin to put your own, quote, cut pieces of paper in and begin to experiment with the the principles yourself.
2: Let's talk
0: about the color accuracy. As a master of color, Albers was very specific about the way he used color all through interaction of color and all through his life and his work. How did you reflect that in an iPad app?
3: So in one way, the iPad is one of the better calibrated media for color representation, but every screen physically is different. Apple actually uses multiple manufacturers, so it's it's almost impossible for us to guarantee and any professional um, in in graphic design understands that you know the calibration of color is actually a very, very difficult thing and We brought that up with the foundation, and what the foundation surprisingly understood for us was that it was the relationship of colors to each other that was important in this book, that Joseph would – well, hopefully with his blessing would understand that, Okay, we can't guarantee that this is the same orange from one iPad to another. But the way that those colors relate still illustrate the principles that he was describing. And that was the important part of putting this into a digital media. You have a new
0: introduction to the book, which is outside of the book in the app, (laughs) um, so to speak. And I'm assuming this is because of all
3: of the new content. That's right. When we were looking at, again, this uh, digital edition, we wanted to think about, well, what can we add to this edition that wasn't in the print editions before? Obviously, one of the great things that the digital medium provides is uh, the ability to bring Multiple kinds of media, so video content, um, incredible and... <laughs> video
0: content. Aside from a lot of live, what 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 is taped, obviously uh, interviews with Albers. There's also incredible interviews with Peter Mendelssohn, the great great book designer, Bryce Martin, the artist. It's it's really quite extraordinary. You have a video included in the app with Albers talking about the after-image effect um, that really blew my mind, and I'm wondering if you could play that for our listeners. Absolutely. So, so Brenda, our listeners um, are at a little bit of a disadvantage in that they can't see what they're going to be hearing, so I'm wondering if you can set the stage for this video that we're about to play.
2: Sure. So, Albers, one of the color effects that Albers wanted to point out was the way that if you look at a color for a long time, and then look at a blank white wall, you tend to see the complementary of that color as an afterimage. And he demonstrated this in a very simple way. On a black background, he created a red circle, bright red circle, with a little black dot in the middle. And he then proceeds to instruct his viewers on how to understand this concept of the after image by actually experiencing it. And it's universal. This happens to anybody
0: that's looking at a red circle. So let's play the video and have our listeners hear Albers describe the after image.
4: Stare at that dot within the red circle uh, in order to... Make you understand why a color uh, is fooling us. And please continue this for a while, though we will first feel it's very uncomfortable, almost impossible to hold our eyes still. Still more, please. Still longer. Stare at that dot within this red circle now you see already there is something playing around that circle like moons there at the center of the red now it's enough and jump quickly to the center in the white green does not exist that is only in our perception in our mind as a reaction to the uh, too long exposure to red
0: Amazing. And the application is filled with these types of lessons and videos.
2: It's just an extraordinary piece of education and inspiration. The interaction of color is such a testimony to Albert's teaching in the sense that it's been available in print for 50 years. As we know, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary. It's was mostly, apart from the original 2,000 copies, limited edition copies, which by and large now are sequestered in libraries and only available for special examination with white gloves, so no longer serving the purpose really for which they were intended, most people, most readers, got their experience from a paperback book which until fairly recently had a very limited number of color studies. In spite of that, it has been translated into 12 languages. It has sold, consistently sold, tens of thousands of copies and continues to sell worldwide for 50 years. So I think that gives us an idea that the, this book is really contributing something and it's sold to people who by and large don't put it on their shelves and forget about it, as is the case with many books, but actually read it and take in its lessons. Now, there are many books on color. We all know that. The shelves of libraries and bookstores are filled with all sorts of books on color. Where interaction of color differs from all of these, is that Albers was not interested in creating a treatise on color. He was not giving you rules about color. He was giving you tools to unlock what he considered the magic of color. And it's very interesting that he gave a lot of lectures around the time of the release of the book. He went, traveled around the country. He was invited to speak on the book, which he loved to do. And the sort of core lecture that he gave, the core talk, was called The Magic and Logic of Color. Now, if you think about that, that really tells you everything. This is a logical process. It advances in steps. But what it does is unlock a magic So, it's not the only book on colour. It's not the only thing that artists or designers or architects are going to read on colour. But it's the only book that will give you the tools to really understand how colour behaves and the wide range of that colour behaviour. And I think to go back to a question that you posed right at the outset, that really was Albers' intention. My last question, Brenda.
0: What do you think that Joseph Albers would think of the app?
2: I think he would love it. He would be delighted. He was very interested in new technologies. He was very interested in new materials. And he was not a backward-looking person. He embraced a lot of new ideas. He was not rigid, as some people think he was. And I think he would absolutely see this as a wonderful new way and an amazingly creative way, because potion have done such a fantastic job in translating this into a new medium, I think he would be thrilled. I think that this app
0: not only can inspire and educate a whole new generation, it can also reinvigorate anyone that has spent their life thinking, studying color in an entirely new magical way. You can find out more about Interaction of Color at yalepress.yale.edu and you will soon be able to find the app at the iTunes store. Thank you, Brenda and Philip. I'd like to thank you all for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again
1: soon. This episode is supported in part by Lynda.com, an online learning company with more than 77,000 video tutorials. With Lynda.com, you can learn software, creative, and business skills to achieve your personal and professional goals. Try it free for seven days by visiting lynda.com slash That's lynda.com spelled with a Y, not an I, lynda.com slash Support is also provided by Shutterstock, home of over 25 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. If you are looking for images for your website, blog, app, or print project, Shutterstock makes it easy. Visit Shutterstock.com to get 30% off any package with offer code DESIGN30. That's DESIGN30 for 30% off at Shutterstock.com. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions with technical assistance by Rainey Oteca. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes store.